Well, good morning everyone. It is great to be here this morning. If you don't know me, uh, I am not homeless, um, as much as some people may think, Jan. Um, But uh, I am studying at Moore College at the moment. Uh, I've just started at the start of this year with my lovely wife, Eliza, and we're in our first year and at the moment it looks like I've passed every subject. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Now, uh, today we are looking at 1 Thessalonians, um, but one of the things is that I think it's important for all of you to understand that it is a great privilege to be able to open up the Scriptures with you. Um, It's a great opportunity and privilege. And with great privileges, um, does come great nerves. (laughs) Um, and so that's me this morning. Uh, so I'm going to pray that God would help me to speak clearly, to help me speak the truth, um, and hopefully that today you would be challenged to be thinking about this future hope that we have in Christ. So why don't we pray? We'll talk to our great God. Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that it is greater than any love we could ever receive. And God, uh, we know that we are sinful and that we are selfish, and we don't always get it right. Uh, And God, as we open up your scriptures today, as we are sinful people, may your Spirit speak clearly through me, and may your Spirit really be uh, prompting and challenging us to be thinking about how we look to the future, and look to the future hope of Jesus' return. God, may you help me to know when it's time to finish, And may you help me know uh, how to read these scriptures well today. And God, we just thank you for the blessing of the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to introduce you to a man. Now, I've called him Secular Scott. So this is Secular Scott. Now, he is very successful. He is very fit. He has great health. He has a very nice girlfriend. He's good at cracking a few jokes. And, well, he got a HD average in uni as well, and he's great with people. Secular Scott is also a Christian, and he's quite an active one. He believes in the authority of the Bible and believes that the Bible uh, teaches him on how to live. He loves the Bible. In fact, he uses the Bible to help him to understand every aspect of his life. And he believes that the Bible, well, his life is under the scrutiny of the Bible. This includes his uh, relationship with his girlfriend, the way that he works, the way that he treats people, and so much more of his life. This is Secular Scott. He understands sin and that he is sinful, and he understands grace, and that grace is a gift from God, not deserved. He can refute to his friends the historical reliability of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He even loves Darling Street. You'll often find Scott listening in uh, the Roselle Cafe uh, to Mark's sermons from the website and thinking about, how does this sermon actually apply to my life today? And what does this mean for the way that I should live? This is Secular Scott. But, truth be known, 
Scott is profoundly secular. What is it that makes him secular then? Well, I've always understood secular to mean of this world, and that's exactly what it means. I found out that it comes from the Latin word seculum, which means this age. I I thought, well, when I heard about secular Scott and that he loves Jesus and he seems to think about the Bible and he he knows grace and sin and he seeks to live for Jesus every day, then what makes him so secular? Well, Scott, he assumes that tomorrow will be exactly like today. That tomorrow he'll wake up in his bed, he'll go to his job, He'll, he'll come home and then he'll go out to dinner uh, with his girlfriend and then he'll go home by himself and he'll go home and sleep, wake up the next day and start all over again. He thinks that it's going to be the exact same. Secularism is all about forgetting the next and forgetting the, the things outside of this age and this world. Scott is ignoring the next. He is denying the next. He is forgetting what is to come, the next. Secularism is growing in our world more and more. As we look more and more at how to cope with this world and today, and focusing less and less on the next, on what is to come. And today as we open up 1 Thessalonians... We see this idea of the coming Lord, that Jesus is going to return. There is a next, and we need to be thinking about the next. So what I've tried to do, uh, as I read through the passage, Tom was kind to me and gave me the longest passage of the series. Um, But no... There is so much in this passage, and there is so much we could talk about. One of the things is, if after today you've got more questions, please come and talk to me or Tom or any of the staff here. Um, Talk to the person next to you as we open up this, because there is a lot. But what I've tried to do is I've tried to break it down into three sections. So you'll see uh, the future hope is this first section uh, of chapter 4. Then we go on to living for the next, which is that second one. And then in the last section is all about preparing for the next. So let's look at the first chunk, which is chapter 4, 13 to 17. It might be helpful if you have your Bible in front of you as we go through this passage. Now we're thinking about the future hope. What happens when we die? Now, one of the things, sorry about that, um, one of the things is that uh, we, in this world and in the church, we try to think about what's going to happen when Jesus returns. And there's all these things that I could talk to you about today. I could talk to you about the millennium, which is a thousand years, when, when that fits in the story, when Jesus returns, when Jesus comes back, what is it going to be like? We could spend lots of time thinking about that. But... In Thessalonians, Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, and as we've spoken about, they were under persecution. They had faced trials, and some of their friends and family had died. 
And so they, they were at this point where they, they weren't sure what happens, what happens to our loved ones when they die. Is there hope for them? The important thing is that whatever the different view on the end time is that all of them talk about how Jesus is going to come back and he's going to come back at an unexpected time like a thief in the night. That's what it says in Thessalonians. So let's look at verse 13. Uh, You can see uh, that he uses this idea of who sleep in death. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, sleep in death, using the word sleep or fallen asleep was common in the time to talk about death. But particularly for Christians, as it is a great thing to talk about death as, as sleep because of the temporary nature of death. If you are found in Christ, death is not final. If you know Jesus as your Lord, death is not final. In this passage, we see that we will rise with Christ and we will be with Him. Death is a a mystery that many people find hard to deal with. Uh, As with the nature of death, there is deep anguish and sorrow. When we lose someone, we have deep anguish and sorrow because they are no longer with us. It was kind of, what, what Paul is trying to do is that he was trying to help the Thessalonians to stop grieving, but look to the hope that they have in Christ and in his second coming. You see, for Christians, the difference is that we have a hope and we have an assurance of the resurrection, that we can look forward to something greater than here right now. And to straighten out their, their thinking and to calm their fears, Paul went on to describe the coming of Christ, as we can see in, in chapter 4, and the place of the living and the dead in that magnificent event. I want to tell you uh, of a time, so my, I had a best friend, uh, we had just been married for six months, um, and he uh, got engaged while, just before our wedding, I think, or was it after? It was after, yeah, it was after. And um, what happened was um, they got married. It was a beautiful day of celebration. Um, They both loved Jesus and they both particularly loved the outdoors. Um, He worked in the outdoors teaching people about Jesus while taking them on a bushwalk. I think it was brilliant Um, because I love the bush. But three months into the marriage, honeymoon was over and they came back to real life real circumstances. So uh, it was a work day. They both woke up. Uh, his wife made, her, made him a coffee uh, and the day began. And as he was putting on his bike gear, uh, she said, as she always did, ride safe. And uh, had a kiss and, they, and he went. Unbeknown to, to her was that he was not going to return home that night. And I I will never forget the moment that I got that call. 
I will never forget the moment that I got that call and the deep anguish and sorrow that I felt. He was no longer with us. And you know what the problem was? I had forgotten the next. I was being profoundly secular. I was focusing on this age. Yes, we we can have deep sorrow and anguish for when we lose people. But when we went to the church and we had a celebration of his life and where he was going, that was where we saw hope. We saw hundreds of people roll into that church. And time after time, as people gave a, a speech of some kind, all of them, every single one of them spoke of this hope that was that we would be reunited with him. And that future hope brings us joy. I learned to have joy in his death. Not not because it was good that he died, but because we saw so many good things in that. And as we'll read later in in chapter 5, it even says in verse 16, this is one of my favorite verses, it says, Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. And that means that when we lose someone, we have to look for the joys. We have to thank God for their life and that they were in our life. We need to remember those things. Now, it's important to realize that when we read through this, we saw a bunch of things that kind of talk of the end time and what's going to happen. It's important to realize that Paul is not concerned with an eschatology or an understanding of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. He's focused on encouraging the Thessalonian church of this future hope for those that are found in Christ. How can I say this? Well, because of the circumstance of the church, the trials that they were facing and the questions that they were asking. If you look at verse 15, it says, According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep being that they've, they've died. Um, the, here it says that we don't go before them, but that they will go before us. And the idea was that, was trying to encourage the church to say, you know what, they're not going to come in second place. Just because they've died, they weren't sure what was happening for those Christians that had died, their loved ones that had died. They were like, well, what does that mean for them? They will be with Jesus. The dead loved ones will not miss out or come in in second place. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's what Romans teaches us. Yet, though their souls are with Christ... Everyone receives resurrected bodies and we all go to be with him. All those that are found in Christ, that know Christ as their Lord, will be with Christ. Then if you look at in verses 16 and 17, Paul kind of hands them the readers a program of sorts, an order of service of what's going to happen. Again, I just want to remind you that this isn't his focus, but he wanted to remind them that they were all going to be with Christ. Christ is coming and this is how it will occur. He says, the Lord, so essentially the Lord Christ himself will come down and then there'll be a loud noise, uh, a loud command, a voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. Then the dead believers will rise first 
then Christians who are still alive on earth will rise. Everyone meets together with Christ in the air and eternity begins. That is the focus. Eternity begins. When all of us will be reunited, Christians will be reunited and in heaven with Christ. And then what does he say at the end of that? So, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another that we will be in heaven together. The problem for secular Scott was that he had forgotten the hope for the next. Paul wrote this letter to encourage the church of the hope they have in Christ. The hope that they already knew, that Paul had already told them. As much as you're at church, and a lot of you may, uh, may know God and may seek to live each day for Christ, I'm sure that there might be at least someone today who is struggling to have hope in everyday life. And here we find a lot of hope for the coming day when this world will end as we know it. But the great thing is that all the pain, all the suffering stops and we will be with Christ where there will be no pain, no tears, no suffering. But we will be with Christ in heaven. You you were made for a purpose and you were made to know God. All the frustrations in this world are to show us that this isn't all there is. And the pain in this world points us to this future hope, the next. The sadness in this world points us to the immense joy that we can find in living for eternity. And to have this hope, trust in Jesus. Romans 10 verse 9 uh, says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's two things. It's not because I'm righteous. I, I I am filthy. I am a sinner just like each person in this room. It is because of God's immense mercy for us that we are saved. And I just want to remind you of that verse 18 of of chapter 4. We are called to encourage each other of this future hope. There is a day that is coming when all pain, all tears, all sorrow, all deep anguish will end. And we will be in perfect unity with Christ in heaven. No matter how busy we are, no matter how pressing our problems how overwhelming our circumstances, a day is coming when Christ will return. And this certain future, this certain hope, gives courage and strength for today and joy for eternity. So this is that first section, future hope. Where <coughs> Sorry. The first section of future hope We have a future hope. Christ is going to return. Remember this as we live each day. Christ is going to return. All right. The next section is all about living for the next. 
So this is chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to start with just looking at the first three verses. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, because he's already told them, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, uh, I'm not sure that if you know, uh, Eliza, my lovely wife, uh, is pregnant. Uh, This is our baby in her stomach. It's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. Now, one of the things that, as soon as I read this verse, I was like, labor, oh no, (laughs) I'm scared. Um, I know that she's more scared than me, don't worry. Um, But one of the things is that, one of the things that I understand about labor is that it can start at any time. We know it's coming. We know that there is a time that is coming when labor will start. We do not know exactly the time. We don't know, we don't know what's going to be happening when that happens. We don't know the date that that's going to happen. We do not know the exact time and second that that all starts. But we know that it's coming. There is a great joy because there is going to be a, a child and I can't wait to be a dad. But there's also that part before labor, where there is a lot of pain and suffering. We have this joy to look forward to when we will be with Christ and we will have this great gift. Remember the circumstance for the Thessalonians. They were being persecuted and it was a tough time for them. And Paul knew this. And he wanted to point them to this future hope, this thing that is coming. He wants to motivate them to live faithfully for him. Let's look at the next couple of verses in this section. But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Now when I first read that verse, I got a little bit confused. So I looked it up in another translation that makes it a little bit easier to understand. It says, But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. So it's unexpected. We do not know what time it's going to happen, but we know that it is coming soon. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, because... Jesus himself said, I am the light. And he says, uh, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we need to walk with this light of life. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober, or or self-controlled, or well-minded, well-balanced. That's that word sober. It doesn't only mean not drunk, because when you're drunk, you're not well-minded, well-balanced, um, but it means that we need to be focusing our mind and focusing, our, focusing ourselves on Christ and understanding what He has for us and how we are to live. Paul is calling us to live self-controlled lives. We're called to walk this earth like Jesus told us to and taught us by the way that He lived. So, what is Secular Scott's problem with this passage, well, he lacks the motivation to live faithfully because he, he forgets that Jesus is coming and can come at any time. 
You need to get yourself right with Jesus today because he could come back at any moment is what the Bible teaches us. Paul goes on to say that we must prepare, we must put on our armour. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, well-minded, well-balanced, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake, alive, or asleep in the grave, we may live together with Him in heaven. Therefore, again, he finishes this chunk by saying, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. We're told to encourage each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. We've seen joy throughout, throughout all of Thessalonians in their trials, in their persecution. They have this joy. And it's a joy that's beyond circumstances. It is a joy that looks to the future hope of Jesus' return. So, the first one we looked at was the future hope. The future hope is coming. And then we need to be prepared for when Jesus returns. Living for the next. And then... Sorry, prepared now, we're looking at in chapter 5, verses 12 to 28. We see kind of in the last half of chapter 5, there is a whole bunch of just instructions for the Thessalonians on how to live. And as I said, you know, my favourite verse is in this chunk. Um, We're just going to read through this. What I would encourage you to do is today as you go home, maybe tomorrow morning before you go to work, I would encourage you to read this passage, chapter 5, verses 12 to 25. Read that and, and dwell on that. Allow yourself half an hour to sit down and just dwell on these things that Paul has encouraged the church of Thessalonians to do. I'm going to read it now and, and I just want you to start that thinking process. He says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish or warn or instruct you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Encourage people like Mark and Wendy and Joe and Tom and Joel. Encourage them. Live in peace with each other. We're called to live in peace with each other, to seek peace and unity. Verse 14, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. If there is someone here today that is disheartened, Christ has a love for you that is greater than any love you will ever receive. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. My favourite verse, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is, the will for you, is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We need to be praying continually throughout the whole day. 
as we head to work, as we're at work, as we're loving our family. We need to be praying throughout the day and giving thanks in all circumstances. When Maffy died, uh, I had to learn to give thanks. And I'm sure that a lot of you have had so many trials in your life. And we need to be ready to give thanks in those circumstances for the joy that we have in living for eternity. Then verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. Do not, do not smother the fire of the Holy Spirit. And how were, the Thessalonians were particularly doing that by, by saying, our oh, prophecies, no, 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 we don't have anything to do with that. Uh, but if, you, if there's something that uh, you hear from someone, someone shares a message and you're kind of like, oh, what is that? You know, like, that doesn't make sense or I'm not quite sure about that. Or if you're like, I really like that, what, what John just said, but um, I'm not sure. Um, open up the Bible. Have a look in the Bible. Test it. See whether the, the sermons that you hear on a Sunday, see whether they line up with what the Bible says. When you listen to a podcast, listen to what the Bible says and see if it lines up with what it says. Test it. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. So, what does this whole passage mean for us today? Live as though Jesus' return is today. This may mean that you have family or friends that don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Today is the day. I know it is hard. I know it is hard. But one of the things that I was challenged by this week was that I need to share Jesus. There's a man at a coffee shop across the road from college that I talk to, I don't know, three, week, three times a week. I don't want him to not be in heaven with me. Today is the day. The problem for secular Scott is that he assumes tomorrow will be exactly like today. He expects that tomorrow he'll wake up in his bed. He will go to his successful job, go on a romantic date with his nice girlfriend, come home and do it all over again. Scott believes in Jesus, but lives as though he is never coming back. Secular Scott is questioning the next, he's forgetting the next. Let's not forget the next. I want to finish with this. So I've got a rope. It's, uh, it's a magical rope. It goes just forever. It just keeps going. Um, but I want you to imagine that this rope is like, this is the beginning of your life. This little knot, that, that's the beginning of, of life. That's, that's labor. Um, that's the beginning of your life. And then this is just time, okay? So time just keeps going. But this blue represents your life, okay? Where it ends, that's where you fall asleep. That's where you, you, you go and be in the grave or Jesus returns. 
That's that point. This is eternity. If we spend all of our time focusing on how to cope with this minute part of our lives, we're forgetting about so much more. We need to be ready for the next. If you don't know Jesus today, I want to tell you that He loves you, that He died on a cross because of our selfishness. I know that you might have heard this before and it sounds weird, but this is the truth. Is that what He did on that cross was He took every part of my selfish life, every part of your selfish life, and, and nailed all of that selfishness, all of that sin. That's what selfishness is. That's what sin is, selfishness. <coughs> nailed that to a cross. Took the punishment for that, which is complete separation from everything that is good. Three days later, he rose again, defeating death. So that we may live for eternity with him. In Romans 10.9 it says, If you confess that Jesus is the king of your life, and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then this is yours. And all you have to do is just say, Jesus, I want you to be my king. I want to live for you. If you do know Jesus today, focus on eternity. Remember the next Remember that Jesus is coming and he is coming soon. Why don't you pray with me? Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love and mercy for me and for each person in this room. And God, we, we praise your name. Help us to remember the next. Help us to look forward to the future hope of Jesus' return, when all pain and suffering will end. God, we praise you for that. I just want to finish with reading these verses, a prayer for you. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Lord God, we thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you have brought us into your family if we choose you. God, we thank you so much for your great love and mercy for us. And Lord, we do pray, come, Lord Jesus, come.